Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. You know, I realize uh, that in our lives we have a lot of ups and we have a lot of downs. Have you noticed that about life itself? Have you gotten to that age yet? Some of you have, maybe. A few of you are approaching the age where you're seeing that there are all kinds of ups and there are all kinds of downs in life. There are sometimes you feel like you're on the mountaintop, right? I mean, you think things are just going your way and it is awesome and it is the most, uh, it is one of the most celebrative times that you could even imagine. Those of us, we've had that time. For some of you, it's, it's holding like a grandbaby, right? I'm trying to bring you in. It's maybe holding a grandbaby or it's, it's some other milestone where your child's getting married or, or maybe you're just celebrating a, a, something else in your life, an, an anniversary, and, and, and things are going your way. You got the promotion. You got the job you wanted. Everything is great. But then just at the moment you think everything is great and everything's wonderful in your life, that seems to be the moment where you experience a down. It's like this life that we have is a series of mountains and then valleys. And mountains and valleys repeated in our lives. Hey, I love this about the scripture. When I read about the different folks in the scripture, when I look at like the Old Testament heroes we might refer to, when I see them, I'm just reminded of how they're just like us in that way. There are those highs that they have, there are those lows that they experience. And I'm grateful that Scripture kind of brings us in in that way. I'm proud that we can see real-life people and the accomplishments, the achievements, the victories, and also their struggles and their conflicts. I want you to see today that David, who has experienced some of the greatest moments, I, now think, this is the giant killer. This is the guy that can take the slingshot. He can charge the giant at full speed. He can rely upon the strength and the faith of his God to bring that giant down. He can hear all of the acclaim, all of the applause from the nation itself. He knows what it's like to be on top. But he will also know what it's like to be on the bottom. And that's what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22. I want you to look at that first verse, if you will, especially the first part of that first verse. It says, David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So get this in your mind, okay? David, who we had seen celebrated, who we had seen heaped uh, fame heaped upon his life and who he was. Now, David is escaping to a cave. Why? Because Saul is pursuing him. Saul has grown jealous. He has grown bitter. And because of that attitude that has overwhelmed him and consumed him, it has led him to places he could have never imagined. Saul was trying to kill David. He was pursuing him. He had sent him first on a suicide mission. And then when that did not work, he pursued David, trying to defeat him and kill him. So here we have David. Hold up in a cave. He had just experienced one of the most humiliating moments of his life, by the way. 
If you were to look in the previous chapter, you would see that he had to feign insanity in order to escape from a Philistine king. How far had he fallen? The scripture says he's there in a cave. He crawls up in the cave by himself, alone. Chuck Swindoll writes an article, writes a chapter of one of his books about how God removed every crutch from David's life. Every crutch that he could depend upon. Everything that he had experienced. Everything that he could draw strength and resource from. Every earthly thing God had removed. He had removed the acclaim, the fame itself. He had removed him from his position in the military. He had removed him from his wife. He had removed him from his best friend, Jonathan. God had removed every crutch that he could lean upon. And now he found himself in a cave. Actually, I want to talk to you this morning about some of you who maybe are in that cave who have crawled into that cave. And I want to talk to you about the people that crawl into the cave with you. Because isn't this the case? Misery loves company. All right? Here you are in the cave. Sometimes you just want to be alone in your cave, don't you? You ever been there? Like, just leave me alone. Let me get in my cave. Let me think about what is going on. Let me think about how all these things have been removed from me. My notoriety, my wife, my best friend, all these things have been removed from me. Let me just be alone for some time. But the scripture says he wasn't left alone in this hiding place. And that's what Adullam means is hiding place or refuge. That when he's there in his hiding place, others are drawn to him. Look in verse 1 again. It says, So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, you know, maybe every crutch wasn't removed. I mean, yes, I know he's lost a lot of his relationships and a lot of the things that are going on, but hey, his family comes down to keep him company. And that's always positive, right? When your family shows up. The family comes. Look, you're trying to be alone and who shows up? Your daddy, your brothers, all the different in-laws. They're all coming into the cave. They're wanting to take up residence with you. Now, some of us, we may have more encouraging families than others. No testimonies we're going to give today. But this family, if you were to look at their track record, it's not the most encouraging group of people. Remember David's father, Jesse? He thought of David as an afterthought. Remember when he was bringing his sons before Samuel to see the kingship established? He wasn't thinking about David. So it wasn't like David's really high in Jesse's mind necessarily back then. So you got daddy coming in. And then the brothers. Remember, the last time we really saw the brothers, they were chastising David for showing up at the battle. Just trying to be curious. Just trying. So so take all these things that we have seen in Scripture about them. And now they walk right into the cave with David. And I don't really believe they're there by 
too much choice. I'm convinced that Saul had put a hit out on the family and on all the friends of David. If you go back again and look at the previous chapters, you will see where Saul, he will go against those individuals that try to align themselves with David. So in other words, the word has gone out to the family in Bethlehem. They've heard David's in trouble, and because David's in trouble, they're in trouble. So they show up at the cave. You can only imagine the conversation, right? David, what did, what did we do to deserve this? Why did you bring this upon us? David, you crawl into the cave to find a hiding place, to be alone. Everything's been taken away from you. And then you have the negativity of your family come into the cave with you. But not just that. I marvel at this, verse 2. I marvel at this. Listen to what happens. Everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, everyone who is discontented gathered to him. Sounds like a room full of winners, doesn't it? Those who are in distress, those who are in debt, those who are in discontentment. Distress means that those individuals who had come under intense stress or pressure in their lives, they all show up. Those who had gone into debt, perhaps because of the taxes, the high taxes of Saul, they try to find relief in the cave. Those who are discontent, Literally, it means something like their soul is bitter. They find residence in the cave. Now, again, if you want to find encouragement, you're probably not going to find encouragement with this group of folks. 400, 400 individuals who would be outcast in Israel, who would be individuals that had bitterness, discontentment, all kinds of things bound up in their hearts and lives. All of these folks just walk into your cave. It's like having a cave full of people from Bogalusa or a cave full of people from Jigger, Louisiana or, or having a cave full of retired finance professors from Louisiana Tech University. <laughs> I don't mean this to sound the wrong way, but you got a room full of losers. I mean, they are. You're in the cave. You just want some time. You just want to be alone. And all of a sudden, everybody that's got their own problems, they show up with you. Don't you want to just say sometimes, hey, I got enough problems. I don't need all yours. I don't need you bringing in all this bitterness and hostility. You, I know you're discontent. I'm discontent too. I know. I know you're distressed. But folks, I got the king of Israel coming after me right now. He has named me personally. I didn't send you invitations to come to my party. I didn't put out a sign saying, come join me in this battle. All I want is to be alone in my cave. 
But it says God sends all these different people. 400 folks under distress. And it says this. He became captain over them. David should have been like, you know, I'm angling for something a little better than this. When Samuel poured that oil over my head, I was to be the king of Israel. And now you've elected me your captain. I am the captain of the crooks and the cranks. That's what I'm the captain of now. But it is in this cave that God will remind David of his presence, of his encouragement. Now, it comes through some difficulty. Because, I mean, again, when you see this picture, I mean, you, you, can, you can see all the discontented, all the distressed, all those who are in debt. They're just all in the cave, filling up, talking about their issues, talking about their problems. Now, I don't mean to make light of it, but, and I've shared this with you before, but some of you on Saturday night when you grew up, you, want, you went to the orchestra or symphony or theater probably, right? Some of you kind of high-class people. I know you are. <laughs> what I did when I grew up is I stayed out with my grandparents a lot of times on Saturday night, and there was this very classy show that used to come on called Hee Haw. <laughs> and I know I've told you this song. I know this. I don't forget that I shared it. But, but I mean, it was that one skit. And I've shared it before, but really it fits so much here. This probably is the best place to use this illustration in all of Scripture. But you remember the skit? It, the skit is, how do I say it? A bunch of like rednecks just kind of sitting around, tattered clothes. No offense to some of you, but tattered clothes. They're all around. They're thinking about all their difficulties. They're talking about, hey, and you remember the song, you, you, you remember the song, right? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. See, you know it, right? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. You, you, remember, you remember. Randy, you were singing along. I think you did that skit once upon a time, Randy Moore. Yeah, you remember that? I mean, I mean that's what you see here. I mean, I mean, literally, Misery Loves Company, they've all joined David. And here they are just talking about their gloom, their despair. And look, I, I, I use that illustration, but I don't want to make light of the difficulty that these people face. There's a real sense of loneliness. There's a real sense of despair. And it is magnified in this cave. David had enough to fill the whole cave by himself before he even walked in. Now everybody else has all of their despair and their gloom. As a matter of fact, David comes to a point in his life where he says... No one cares. No one cares. Hey, if you will, turn to Psalm 142. I want to I show you two or three psalms here because 
The Psalms give us personal testimony. One of the reasons we love the Psalms so much is because they touch on human emotion. And they're so personal, just people just sharing. Well, what's cool is in the providence of God, in His own wisdom, He decided to give us some Psalms from the cave. Psalm 142. Actually, if you look at the little subtitle, which I believe tradition would say that it was in the original manuscripts, it tells us that this is a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. So here he is with all these different people around, every crutch removed, and this is what he says. Verse 1. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit is overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in which way, in the way in which I would walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Can you hear the pain of David? He recognizes that every crutch has been removed from him. And he also recognizes this whole company has joined him. And even with all these people around, this is what's amazing to me, is even with all these people around him, he still says nobody really cares. It's like nobody really cares the depth of my despair right now. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you have moments where nobody really cares? They haven't given much attention. Oh, people around, we're not saying they're not around. We've attracted folks in our lives and they're around us. They're all around us. We work with them. We see them at church. We, we see them in our families. But it's even though they're there, there's still a great sense of loneliness. Because they can be there physically, but mentally and emotionally. See, this text encourages me. I know some of you say, well, how could he encourage you? It sounds so depressing and so despairing. and so de I mean, how? Because I say to myself, if David, the man after God's own heart can face such loneliness and alienation and isolation in his life, then that means it can be natural for us too. We shouldn't always feel bad that we feel so lonely. That we feel like people simply don't care. There are some of you in this room that could have written out of prayer very similar to what David wrote out. 
where it's just like you're crying out to God. God, my refuge has failed. Remember, I said to you that Adullam can mean hiding place or refuge. It's almost like he says, I've come to the refuge. I've found my cave. I've walked into it. And even this cave has failed me. And there are moments in your life and mine. If we would be very serious, if we would be sincere in our expressions, we know that there have been those moments where we've just felt lonely. Through my ministry, God has given me great blessing of people and friendships and relationships. But there have been days, even in my life, where I've experienced loneliness. There have been areas of your life, and you've beaten yourself up because you'd say, this is not right, I know it's not right. But the loneliness would speak with such volume. It would speak with such clarity that all you knew is you're all alone. And it was as though nobody else cared. Well, sometimes we get to the point in our lives no one cares. Sometimes we do. But this is what I love about the record of the scripture that we have is once uh, Psalm 142 gives us the brokenness of David and his sense of loneliness but hey if you would for a moment it won't take you but just a few seconds flip over to Psalm 57 flip over to Psalm 57 because in the cave as David had prayed he, he said No one cares. But then in Psalm 57, you hear just a little different take. I I, I believe there's a progression. I can't prove it. I don't know it for sure, but there seems to be just a little progression, a little turning from the moment of loneliness to recognize that there is something else there that actually no one may seem to care, but you know what? There is one. There is a God who cares. Psalm 57, and again, the subtitle tells us that this is from David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Listen to what he says. Listen to the change, I think, in tone. He says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. I love the language there. It actually means that one that would continue to hound me and hound me. I like it because I like to uh, go out and rabbit hunt every now and then. Some of you have no idea what that is, right? I told you I'm classy, all right? That means the dogs just pursue and pursue and pursue the rabbit. Here it's the same type of language. Is they just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming and I run and I run and they're still there. They're hounding me. They're pursuing me. But God, you shall send forth your mercy and your truth. Verse 4, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Look at the way he describes those folks in that cave with him. 
He said, there's some tough folks here. But Lord, be exalted. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me into the midst of it. They themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and heart. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Can you hear just a little bit of the change? In Psalm 142, he's like, nobody cares. In this one, it's like, God, you're there for me. God, you care. God, I exalt you. I praise you because I know that you have concern to deliver me from those who would hound me and pursue me. How we need to be reminded that our God cares. When it seems that nobody else does, our God cares. He cares for our loneliness. I love that language where it says, In the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. God, you're my protector. God, you are my ultimate hiding place. You are the place I can run to for comfort and deliverance. You remember? In Psalm 142, he said, my refuge had failed. In other words, what I was running to, to try to find refuge in the hiding place, God, all those things have failed me. But now, in this passage, it says, God, I found my refuge in you. Have you ever noticed that those who go through moments of loneliness, they can turn to certain things to try to hide that depression, that despair, that loneliness. They may turn to alcohol. They may turn to some type of addictive drug. They may turn to another relationship. They may turn to addiction itself. And what they're trying to do is find a refuge where they're, they're just numb for some time. They can escape the loneliness and the despair. and They can escape all those things. And in the end, in the end, they draw the same conclusion David did in Psalm 142. My refuge has failed. I can numb it for some time, but I cannot numb the pain and the feeling indefinitely. Because all of these temporary fixes that we find, they're just temporary. They're not a true refuge. But David says, God, you are my refuge. Under the shadows of your wings do I find protection. That language is used throughout the Old Testament. Ruth will use it. Um, I, I believe personally it talks about the presence of God. You, you remember the Ark of the Covenant? You remember Indiana Jones went after rem- The Ark of the Covenant, on top of the Ark, there you had these cherubim, the, the angels, and they had wings that would come together 
and right in the middle, if you will, of that ark, you would find the mercy seat. You would find this where God would demonstrate His Shekinah glory, His presence. It would be just an incredible uh, outpouring of who God was to the people. I believe there's some connection here. And that is under the wings, or where those wings come together, there, under the shadow of the wings of God, we find His true presence. And when everybody else, it seems, when, when they have checked out mentally and emotionally on you, it is the God of heaven that is still attentive to your needs. And I want you to hear that today. You may have walked in this place and you may have been uttering that same psalm that David did in 142. You may say, no one cares. I say to you today, God cares. Don't you miss it. You say, well, God, he's just... No, 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 no. God cares. God is not just some, something that we can't experience in our life. Our God is real. And our God is powerful to move on our behalf. And His presence can consume us if we will simply give ourselves to Him. Someone has rightly said, It is not until Jesus is all you have that you realize sometimes that He is all you need. When God breaks you and strips you all the way down, it is at that moment that you recognize that Jesus is the only one that can make a difference in who you are. You've been trying to find some type of answer in other things. It can only come by finding your refuge in God. And that's what David says. In the cave, in the cave with all these other people, he just recognizes God, you care. And then this is what's cool. Because if you turn over to Psalm 34, last one, okay? I know, you got to get to Sunday school. <coughs> Psalm 34. This one tells us that this is a psalm that was written right after, sometime after, he had feigned his... Madness. He had pretended to be insane before this Philistine king. Somewhere along the line. Listen to this. I, I, I think you just see this wonderful progression. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Look in verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord bear, hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. David now says, you know what? I care. I care for you. It's almost like he looks around at all these others in the cave and says, you know what? I've just written a song. I'd like for you to hear this. I'd like for you to hear this. It is an invitation for you to come and to recognize the presence of God and what he can do in your hearts and lives. He says, let us exalt his name together. So you go from moments of misery and agony and they're singing about all their gloom. And David says, hey, could we just break out into worship here and praise Could we just exalt him? Hey, you know what? You who are in debt, those of you who are in distress, those of you right now who are discontent, come, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't it something that when God renews our heart and revives us, when we go from the place of thinking that no one cares to the place of recognizing that God does care, All of a sudden, we begin to care. And we want to share with other people. See, I think that's what the church should be like. Is that we are inviting others to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. We ought to be the ones who say, yes, God cares and we care and we want to see what God will do among us collectively. And what a group to start with, right? 400 broken individuals. Someone has written, I think, so well about how we should find that type of fellowship even among broken individuals within the church. This is what one man wrote. The neighborhood bar is probably the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. I know that just shocked some of you, but I'm just telling you. You with me? It's an imitation Dispensing liquor instead of grace. Escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It is unshockable. It is democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all of my heart, I believe Christ wants the church to be a fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk. I'm beat. I've had it. People don't need critics. They hurt enough already. They don't need more guilt or piled on distress. They need encouragement. In a word, they need a refuge. It is where we say we care. It begins, hey, it begins with us. We have to move from the place of saying no one cares to understanding that, yes, God cares. Hey, I didn't mention this earlier, but sometimes it just means that we speak into our own souls, okay? Let God speak into us. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you cast down, O soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. 
the great Lloyd-Jones who preached for many years in England, he spoke this way. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I know that seems strange, some of you. Some of you say, I ain't got a problem. I talk to myself all the time. But Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Instead, we should allow this self to talk to him. He starts talking to himself. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, you listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And on this side of the cross how we can speak in the victory of Christ, right? Romans 8. Can I give you a little bit of it before we go? If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? We should allow those words to speak into us and to be reminded that he is for us and that he cares. And then we can care for others, bringing them in and reminding them that there is hope in God. And what's incredible is if you were to turn over to 2 Samuel, chapter 23 or so, these, my, these 400 undesirables, you will see them transformed into the mighty men of David. So many of them will be transformed because in the cave of, of loneliness and depression for David, God will turn, he'll turn this moment into a transformative experience for these 400. David, who said no one cared, who finally got to the point of recognizing, yes, there is one, there's a God who cares. David decided he would care. And he would lead these people, even the undesirables of Israel, into transformation. How blessed are we? Because you recognize all of us were undesirables. And yet Jesus loved us so much to transform our hearts and lives. And bring us here. Don't you ever forget when you walk into this place... You are nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. We still don't deserve it. But he took us into, he took us in. He can find us when we're in our cave. And he can speak life into us. And I pray this morning in this place you would hear that. And that he would encourage you and that you would know that he cares and that you would allow him to use you to care for others. May that be our challenge today as we pray. Father, thank you for the message that you give us. Thank you for speaking to us personally. God bless this moment of response.
those in this place that are so desperate, God, speak to them so clearly. Those who are lost, yes, even spiritually, Lord, those who are lost, saved today. And Lord, help us to exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen.